your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, which is where we're going to be today. Luke chapter 1 is, um, we haven't done this offering before, but my hope is that everybody would participate. I mean, some people could give a thousand or five thousand dollars, but everybody can give five dollars, ten dollars or something. So we're going to be collecting money through the end of the, the calendar year. And then we'll announce what, how much we raised. But just, you know, pray, but let's all think about how, what, what small or large gift can I give so that we can all be a participant in that offering. I wanted to start uh, this sermon this morning by asking you to do me a favor. Will you do me a favor? How do you feel about that, me asking you that question? He's going to ask me something that I'm not expecting. Because that's what a favor is, right? I need you to do something sort of beyond what is normal, what is due. If I ask my teenage son to mow the lawn all summer, I'm not asking him to do me a favor. I'm asking him to be my son and live in this house. (laughs) That's what I'm asking. It's not a favor. Hey, son, would you do me a favor and mow the lawn? No, that's part of just living here. It's no favor. But if I go to my neighbor and say, hey, would you mow my lawn all summer? Well, I mean, that's, that's a real favor, is it not? That's not anything that you would expect or is normal. It's outside of normal. And when you ask somebody to do you a favor... You're saying, I want you to go sort of above and beyond. Would you do something that's beyond normal? That's what we normally think of when somebody says, I'm asking you to do me a favor. But then there's the next level favor. This is the favor that somebody gives you before you ask it. You've ever experienced that? Somebody's been thinking about you before you've been thinking about them. And they come in and do something that is above normal that you wouldn't have anticipated, that you wouldn't have been thinking about. You go, wow, what a favor. I mean, I can't believe this person was thinking about me and they went to all this effort to do something for me that I'm not expecting in any way. That's what I would call like next level favor. Several years ago, I was just sitting in my uh, office at my house reading, sitting by an open window enjoying my day. And a friend of mine calls me. And he says, hey, Paul, today I'd like, you, I'd like to do you a favor. I'm like, okay. I'm going to buy a car for myself, and I'd like to buy the same car for you. <laughs> like, first of all, I'm drooling on my phone. I'm like, what? I mean, people don't do this. I'm not thinking about my car. I'm not thinking about this person. I'm not thinking that I need this car. But this person has been thinking about me before I was ever thinking about him or the gift. That's, that's a next level favor. That's something that somebody's doing for you that you don't in any way deserve. And they're thinking about it before you're thinking about you have a need for it. Next level favor. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Next level favor. There's a lot of next level favor in the first three or four chapters of Luke, where God is thinking about us before we're thinking about him. 
And he's doing something for us that we shouldn't anticipate, that we shouldn't expect. It's something way above normal. And it comes out in three different stories, and they're all very familiar stories about next-level favor. And the first one is in Luke chapter 1, and it's the story of Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Hit her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. You have found favor with God. God's been thinking about you, Mary, even though you weren't thinking about him. And behold, he's going to do something for you you couldn't ever anticipate. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. What a favor. What a favor. When I think about this favor, I like to to pull threads from the Old Testament and think, how, how did this kind of favor happen in the Old Testament? And, of course, there are a lot of threads you could pull on, but one thread I want to pull on is Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. You haven't heard anything about Abraham in the first 11 chapters, basically. And seemingly out of nowhere, God says, hey, Abraham, I'm calling you. Abraham, I've been thinking about you before you've been thinking about me. And here's what I would like to do. This is the favor I'd like to give you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And you will be a blessing to all the peoples on the earth. What a favor. And you hear the parallels with Mary in Luke chapter 1. Seemingly out of nowhere. You've never heard of Mary before. She doesn't have any special place in the Bible up to this point. Just out of nowhere an angel shows up. And she's not thinking about God, but God's thinking about her. She does, has no status in her culture. She's probably 14 years old. She lives in a small town called Nazareth. And everybody knows Nazareth has a bad reputation. Nothing ever good comes out of Nazareth. So here's this young girl. She has no standing, no status. And out of, seemingly out of nowhere, God is going to pour out his favor. You have found favor and you're going to give birth to this child and he's going to be the son of the most high and he's going to have this throne of David and his kingdom is going to extend out it's going to ripple out to the whole world just like Abraham Abraham I'm coming to give you a blessing but your blessing is going to have a ripple effect out into the world Mary I'm coming to show you favor But it's not favor that's just going to go into a cistern and you're going to hold on to. No, it's going to spill out into the whole world. This is how God's favor works. If he ever showers his favor on you, he definitely means for it to spill out of you into the rest of the world. One commentary on this topic said, God has given his favor to one who had no claim to worthy status. And chose her to have a central role in salvation history. So this this person we know nothing about who has no status, she has a central 
role in salvation history. Incredible. Mary is going to give birth to the light and light of the world. And it's intended to have a ripple effect. Okay, great. That's great for Mary, Pastor Paul. It's good to know, good information. But what does that have to do with me? Other than just, it's part of the story. I'm glad it's happened. I would say, what does it mean to be a Christian? You might say, to believe in Jesus or to follow Jesus, which is true. But I would say a Christian carries around the light and life of Jesus within them. What was given to Mary physically is given to us through the Spirit. Jesus lives in us now. And we are the light bearers. We are the life bearers. And His life in us is supposed to ripple out into the rest of the world. John 14. Jesus says, On that day you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. I am in you. Don't just run by those words. Feel like an angel is coming to you and saying, I have chosen you as my vessel. I'm delivering light and life, not just into your soul for your salvation, but so that you could deliver it out into the whole world. Colossians 1.27, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, all the people who are scattered around the world, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. How is he going to tell people living in a great darkness about Jesus? You. Not, not a star. Not anything else. You. You're now holding the light and life of Christ in you. Not just so, oh good, I get to go to heaven. No, it's supposed to pour out. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but what does it say? Christ lives in me. It's incredible. The favor isn't just for Mary. Mary's a a picture of the favor that's being poured out into every believer. It's far beyond what is normal. It's far beyond what you would expect. The second favor comes in this scene with the shepherds, Luke chapter 2. Again, very familiar. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock flock by night. And angels appear. So angels make another appearance here. And the glory of the Lord shone round them, and the angels said to these shepherds, Fear not, behold, I bring you great news, great good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So I'm telling you something, but it's going to spread out. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he is well pleased. Or it says, peace among whom his favor rests. Jesus has come to rest his favor on people. Jesus comes and It's not surprising when he does that the people he's most interested first tapping into are people who aren't known. 
Luke has a special way of identifying these people. They, they show up at critical moments, but up until this point, nobody knows about them. They're not in any kind of religious elite or academic elite or cultural elite. These are all people who are at the very low rung of society. First, it's Mary. Second, it's the shepherds. The shepherds are going to now give an announcement of the good news, and shepherds weren't allowed in a courtroom to give testimony. Because of their sort of poor status, you couldn't really believe a shepherd. Isn't it interesting? Who would you choose to be your mouthpiece? I mean, if you're me, you're just going to choose somebody who's got like a really big megaphone, right? Somebody who everybody's already got invested belief in. Somebody who the world says, oh, you can trust this person. And Jesus or God comes and says, hey, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not doing it the way the world does it. Then at the very end, as if to sort of bookend Mary and the shepherds, Jesus on the cross cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Luke 23. And when you read it, you just want to pause. That this person who breathed life into every being has breathed his last. It's like an eternal moment that sort of stands still. And then God needs somebody to break the silence. Who would you choose? A Roman soldier. The enemy of God's people. He stands there and said, this is the righteous one. It's the very last person you would choose. This this pregnant eternal silence is broken by a Roman soldier. Like a shepherd giving testimony. And then finally, three days later at the empty tomb, women come, as you know. And an angel says, go back and tell the disciples... But this is what Luke 24 says. But they didn't believe the women. Their words, they seemed like nonsense. Why? Women couldn't show up in court either. Women couldn't be trusted to give an accurate testimony. So here you have the birth of Christ with somebody who can't be trusted in this world to give an accurate testimony, and then the resurrection, the rebirth of Christ, with a group of people who can't give an accurate testimony. You see what Luke is saying? This person who's coming to the world is for every kind of person. Every kind of person is welcome. And the shepherds then, so humorous to see them coming in, and they get the first face-to-face meeting with Jesus outside of Joseph and Mary. Now, I think first impressions are pretty important, don't you? You meet somebody and you just get that first impression. And you may be wrong, but it kind of takes a while to get out of your mind. And here's the shepherd showing up. And what's their first impression of God in the flesh? It's a baby. It's a way of God saying, hey, everyone who wants to can come pick me up. I'm I'm completely accessible. I'm mild he lays his glories by. 
he humbled himself from all of his power, all of his glory, and just said, hey, you, you can come pick me up right now. And all the feelings that you get when you pick up a baby, the joy, the anticipation, the fragility. Uh, My grandson was born just about four years ago today. And I remember the first time I held him, my first thought was hope and joy. So when you come, Jesus is saying, there's hope. There's joy. It's, it's available to anybody who would come. And, and even if you have no account in this world like a shepherd, you're welcome to come in and hold on to me. And then you'll find out I'm holding on to you. Especially if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I wonder what your image of God is when you bring God to mind. What story do you play in your mind about God? He, he's like, if there is a God, he's like what? This is the first impression God would want you to have of him. You can pick me up. I'm not threatening I'm available. I'm humble. I'm handing out favor to anybody who would come. Finally, in Luke chapter 4, a passage that we studied when we started our series in Luke, Jesus is now 30 years old. He's come back to his hometown, Nazareth. And in Luke, he's delivering his very first sermon. And in his first sermon, he's asked to stand up and preach, and he takes the scroll of Isaiah And he reads this passage, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to to set at liberty those who are oppressed, verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here's the third and final favor I want to talk about this morning. When Jesus reads this passage, everybody listening is a Jew. They clearly know this passage in Isaiah 61. And they say, we understand this last line to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We read it and just think, okay, the Lord has come and something good's going to happen. But that's not exactly how they would hear it. They would know this comes from Leviticus 25. And they would know what's behind this. The, the, what's behind this is proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor or what we would call proclaiming the year of Jubilee. And the way God set up his economics is that every 50 years, everything that you owed, all debts were canceled. If you had to sell yourself into slavery because you were that poor or that stupid, you got set free. And if you had to give up your land, it came back to you. A deed came back and your name was on your land now. Every 50 years. So you can imagine, oh, this is a good year. I want to be born right before the year of Jubilee that everything comes back. Everything that's broken, every stupid thing that I've done, it's undone. It's the year of Jubilee. And the way it's described is so beautiful. On the 50th year, this is Leviticus 25.9, on the 50th year, you shall sound the trumpet. Don't you love that? I wish I would have gotten a little sound from the sound booth. Sound a trumpet. 
Sound a trumpet everywhere in Israel. Go around and have this guy blow a horn everywhere to say, it is the year of Jubilee. All debts are canceled. Wouldn't you want the, the, the trumpet to sound for you on December the 26th? All debts are canceled. Oh, praise the Lord. No more MasterCard, no more Visa. All, you know, everything's canceled. Everyone who's enslaved is set free. Every land has been returned. And you can see how that's a especially good gift for the poor. Although the requirements of the year of the Lord's favor or the year of Jubilee clearly spelled out in Leviticus 25, you know how many times Israel as a nation actually celebrated the year of Jubilee? Zero. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I, don't, I can't say for sure. Here's my guess. In 50 years, people got power. People got wealth. And they had no interest in giving it back. And here, 1,400 years later, Jesus Christ stands up, reads this text, and says, Today, I'm blowing the trumpet. What you wouldn't do for each other, I'm going to do for you. Oh, 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 what, what do you say now? Oh, that was unusual, was it not? I'm not saying he's going to do it again, but (laughs) I was going to say it again. He's standing up saying, I'm blowing the trumpet. Today, if you're poor in spirit, if you know you're a sinner, if you know you're broken on the inside in a way that if you went to the doctor, the doctor could never see it on an x-ray. He's blowing the trumpet and say, you're forgiven. If you don't feel enslaved by your sin or just the oppression of the world, you just feel like I'm not free. I'm just, he's come to set you free. If you've done something so foolish as to give your life away, your inheritance away, you've done something so foolish to, to ruin your life or to ruin your family, He's come to say, I can get it back. But he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you have to come like a shepherd. No status, nothing to offer, just something to pick up and hold. God's blown a trumpet. And if you've received it, it's intended to have a ripple effect. Oh, it's good news for you. It is good news for me. 
But now you and I hold the light and life of Jesus Christ within us. And it's our call to go out. And whether we do that in prayer, in person, in giving, whatever it is, it's meant to extend out so the light could be seen by all nations. May God's mercy rain down on us. Let's pray. Lord, what a holy moment. Nothing happens by chance. So I'm just asking for your word from the heavens and from your word to do the work today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.